God, it is truly in Christ alone that we stand. Lord, it is in Christ alone that we even can gather here. God, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Lord, that you love us so much that you sent your Son, that for those who have belief in him, faith in him, God, have eternal life. Lord, I pray that we too would place Christ as our cornerstone, Lord, as the foundation of our lives. Lord, as we come to your scripture this morning, Lord, I pray that we we would submit ourselves humbly under the authority of your scripture, Lord. Be nothing that I can say, Lord, nothing, nothing that I can do, but Lord, only through the power of your Holy Spirit, through your infallible word, God, I pray that we would submit ourselves under the authority of your scripture this morning, and that you would show us more about the person, the power, and the passion of yourself, but through this time of worship this morning. Lord, we love you. Here, have one we pray, God. Amen. Oh, wow. Like Pastor Jason said, my name is Tyler Whitmer. I am the college and young adult pastor here at Living Hope, and I've been here for about three years, and I just recently went through the ordination process, and it is a blessing to be here with you this morning. It's to unpack God's Word with you this morning. Today is important for me, not only because I'm getting to come here and present God's Word. That is the most important thing, but it's also important to me because one year ago today, uh, I was married to my wife which was a really big deal for me, and we were married here at Living Hope, and, and that was a blessing. And so you can imagine that our first Christmas together, we've been pretty busy traveling around, trying to make it to every house, trying to figure out our routine and how we're going to do that, uh, which is pretty difficult, I think. And to make things a little bit more interesting, two days before Christmas, I got off a plane and had just gotten back from West Africa. I'd been there for about 10 days. And so in West Africa, what we were doing is we were going out from these, from the, the, main, the main city, and we were going out on these roads, and we were just sharing the gospel with every village that we could stop at. We would stop at each village and just share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we were rejected several times, more so than not, but we had some people who placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to, I want to tell you one story from West Africa, uh, something that I had the privilege, the blessing to be a part of, something I'm very humbled to have the privilege and blessing to be a part of. We were going out, we were sharing the gospel in this one village, which was down by the river. I can't talk about where, what river, but we were down by a river, and we went out, and it was just me, one missionary who'd only been there for about two or three months, and so their dharma wasn't even that good. Um, so it was me, someone who could barely communicate, and then a local believer that, had, that was with us. And we went, and we went and shared the gospel with this man named Isaac. This is Isaac right here. And we were walking down the street, and he came out of his compound, he came out of his house, and he looked at us and he said, what are you guys doing here? And what we told him, well, we came here to preach. And he said, oh, would you preach to me? And we said, well, absolutely. So we went inside their house, we went inside his house, we sat down on the floor on this mat, and we started sharing the gospel with him. We found out a little bit about him first. We found out that he is about 68 years old. They don't really celebrate birthdays, so he's about 68 years old, and he's been a Quran teacher his entire life. He's been a teacher of the Quran. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is what it looks like to get kicked out of a 68-year-old man's house for sharing the gospel. That's where I think this is going. And so we sit down with him. We start sharing the gospel. About 10 minutes in, he stopped me. He said, you, you have to stop for a second. I was like, okay, this is it. This is where we get kicked out. He said, I have to go get my neighbor 
because he has to hear this too. This is true. And so he goes and gets Moses, who is this man right here, and we sit down, and over the course of the next two hours, we just share the gospel with these, these two men, and they had questions, and we, we addressed those questions, and these two men, they looked at us in the end, and they said, this is the truth, and we want to believe this. And so we talked about what it looks like to, to place their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ. We went and got another missionary. We had him come back and who can speak better as Arma. And we had him go through what we just went through and reshare the gospel and ask him a bunch of questions. And we said, if you, if you would, please pray and consider, please pray and consider that we would baptize you tomorrow. And so they said that they would, and we went back the next morning, and Abraham, or sorry, Isaac, another picture, Isaac and Moses, they asked us if we would baptize them in the river. And so this is what this is a picture of. We went down through the river with Isaac and Moses, and it was the sweetest thing in the world. When I asked Moses here, just seconds after the picture was taken, I said, do you plan on following Jesus all the days of your life? And he looked at me and he said, I'll follow Jesus until death. I'm following Jesus for the rest of my life. What a blessing it was to get to be a part of what God is doing in West Africa through the missionaries that we support here at Living Hope. As we come out of this time of celebrating Christmas and begin to look at the new year ahead, we are going to look at our lives and give consideration to the foundation we are building and what it is God is and what it is that God is calling us to do as our as believers in Jesus Christ in 2016. Another story really quickly about West Africa, one that really startled me initially, is in West Africa, almost everyone that you run into is a Muslim in West Africa. And so we were going into these villages and sharing the gospel in the face of persecution and knowing that these believers, if they accepted the gospel, that they would be persecuted for their faith. And we were along one village, and it was getting dark, and so we decided to stop in and stay the night at this pastor's compound. And actually, a believer had a compound, and he asked us this question. He said, do you want to sleep inside the church tonight, or do you guys want to sleep out in these tents? And it was an all-guys trip, and we were thinking to ourselves, I'm sleeping out underneath the sky, right? I'm sleeping out underneath the stars of West Africa. How many other times am I going to get this opportunity? Well, I got the opportunity plenty of other times on this trip, and if I had the choice, I'd probably go back and sleep in the warmth, because what we didn't prepare for was that at night in the winter in Africa, it gets down to about 60 degrees, and we didn't bring any blankets or anything, and so we're just laying there shivering all night, and I felt like I had just gotten to sleep when I was awoken by this terribly loud noise. It sounded like a man speaking to me in my tent, and it freaked me out at first, but then I remembered, I, I thought about it, and I was like, wait a second, this is a Muslim call to prayer. So the first Muslim called a prayer, they have called a prayer five times a day. The first one is before sunrise. And there it was that morning. I was awoken in my tent to the Muslim call of prayer. And I was laying there shivering, confused about how loud it was, unable to go back to sleep. But I remember thinking how sad this was. Because no one even in this, no one in this country even speaks Arabic. And yet the prayer was in Arabic. 
And so you have these people who are going and they're praying five times a day, being obedient religiously to this, to this Muslim called a prayer, and yet they don't even know what they're praying. They don't even know what they're doing, really. They're being obedient to what some think or what someone had told them to be obedient to. And the issue here, I think, is that they're placing their foundation on something that cannot last. They're placing their foundation on something they do not even understand. So in our text today, we can see in Luke 6, 46-49, that Jesus is asking a compelling question and is offering a picture of what it looks like to build a life on Him. Emma Bunch is going to come up and read for us our passage of Scripture today. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house Thank you so much. You may be seated. Many of those in West Africa wake up every morning to a call of prayer that they do not understand. One woman we were sharing the gospel with in our time there said that she's tired of waking up every morning or five times a day. It feels like she's just hitting her head on the ground because when they pray, they kneel and they they bow while they pray. She said, it feels like I'm just hitting my head on the ground. We woke up on December 25th and celebrated something. Do we understand what we are celebrating? We woke up this morning and came to this place. Do we even know why? Jesus just asked us a very important question here in Luke 6. Jesus just asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? If we are not careful, we can be judging towards these Africans for what they believe, but do we know what we believe? Do we understand what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, and are we living lives that show that Jesus is Lord? I'm going to give you a quick context of Luke chapter 6. Jesus in Luke 6 is speaking to a multitude of people. And what he's doing is he's going through in Luke 6 and redefining their worldview. He's redefining their perspective. He's taking them from earthly or worldly things and saying, no, in fact, your treasure, your reward is great in heaven. And so he's redefining them from earthly things to eternal things. That's what he's doing all throughout Luke chapter 6. Another thing that he's doing is he's showing us a picture of what it means to be a believer in Christ and what that looks like. So we see in Luke 6, 43-45, we see, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What's becoming clear is that we as believers in Christ must become new creations. It is not as if that we can say, well, I'm going to do these good works, I'm going to produce these good fruit, and then I will change as a tree. That's not the picture we're seeing here, is it? We're seeing that because the tree is good, then it produces good fruit. Well, how is that tree good? Well, that tree is good because it is in Christ. 
And so those who are believers in Jesus Christ bear good fruit. It is not as if you're trying to bear good fruit so you become a believer. It is because you are a believer you bear good fruit. You see that? So believers in Christ bear fruit that allows them to live hopeful and to be helpful. That brings us to our text for today, which is Luke 6, 46 through 49. And what Jesus is referring to in this passage is lordship. Knowledge alone is not enough. Feelings alone are not enough. Religious activity alone is not enough. We are in a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and this is acknowledging that He is God. If you remember the story in John chapter 3 of Nicodemus going to Jesus, you'll see that Nicodemus, I'll paraphrase this for you, Nicodemus goes at night, which means he's sort of ashamed probably of the fact he's going to Jesus, but he calls Jesus a few things. He calls him rabbi, he calls him a teacher from God, and he calls him, or says that God is with him. So when he goes to, uh, when Nicodemus goes to Jesus, he acknowledges that he's a good teacher. He acknowledges that he's from God or sent from God. He acknowledges that God is with him. But what does he not do? He does not acknowledge that Jesus is God. He does not acknowledge that Jesus should be the Lord of his life. So when Nicodemus failed to realize that Jesus was God and one must be born again to be saved. Now this new life in Christ, being born again, is the foundation for living under the Lordship of Jesus. So again, Jesus asks a very vital question here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus calls us to a life of obedience under his Lordship. Jesus calls us to a life of obedience under his Lordship. So, to build a life on the foundation of Jesus, we must come to Jesus as Lord. Luke 47a, everyone who comes to me, we come to Jesus by faith and belief as the one who brings us new life. Now, to illustrate my point a little bit in this, I think that the word faith in our culture, if we're not careful, has come to mean something that we don't always intend it to mean. So sometimes when I say that I have faith in Jesus Christ, I mean that I am acknowledging that He is Lord of my life. But if we're not careful, sometimes we'll say faith out of context. Like, we'll do this. For example, I'm from Indiana. And being from Indiana, sometimes when people bring up IU basketball, something just happens inside of me. Something just swells up. I don't know what it is, just some irrational pride. And I, and I just get fired up about it. Okay? Now, that's really hard living in Kentucky. Very difficult. Because people in Kentucky, they like to remind you how bad you are at basketball. And I completely agree. But here's the thing. Sometimes, if I'm not careful, I'll say things like, but I have faith in them. I have faith that contrary to how I know I know how bad they are at basketball, I still have faith in them. And that's not here what we're meaning when we say we have faith in Jesus Christ at all. Because the Bible defines faith as this. Hebrews 11, 1 says, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. The way that we come to Jesus is in faith that He is Lord. 
C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he had a remarkable argument to go along with his point in this. He says that Jesus must be to you either liar, lunatic, or Lord of heaven. What he cannot be is just a good guy. Can't just be a good moral teacher. Can't just be one of the best men that's ever walked the earth. Because that is out of context what he says in the Bible. If he is not God, then he is either a liar or he's a lunatic. But if we come to him and place our faith in him and accept that he is exactly who he says he was, then he's Lord. Because I believe that when God created all things, God created all things to be in harmony with one another, that we would walk with God, that we were to be in harmony with God. But we see early on, even as early as Genesis chapter 3, that man sinned and fell. That God did not leave us in this. In fact, we even see the promise in Genesis 3.15 when God is speaking to the serpent. He says, through from the seed of a woman, one will rise up and will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And that's what we celebrated two days ago. We celebrated the one who was from woman that came and made atonement for our sin. That when Christ died on the cross, he said, Telestai, he said, Telestai, meaning it is finished that he had defeated sin and death on the cross, that we have faith in him, if we place our, our faith and belief in him, that our sins are atoned for. We also believe that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that when he comes back, he is going to restore all things and make all things new. And so that is what we as believers earnestly pray for. So we must come to Jesus for who he says he is, which is Lord. We must come to Jesus as Lord, and we must hear Jesus' words as true. Luke 6.47 says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words. So once we've established that Jesus is exactly who he says he was, once we've established that Jesus is Lord, then we hear his words differently than we hear others. But we live in a world, and we live in a context in which we hear so many other opinions on who Jesus is. We hear so many other opinions on what we should be doing, what we should be wearing. The media tells us enough, and then if you get on Facebook, it tells you even more. And yet we, we, we have to come to the Scripture as the infallible Word of God and allow it to be the lens in which we see the world around us instead of allowing the world around us to be the lens in which we see the, the Word of God. So the Word of God should be our lens in which we see everything else. C.S. Lewis, again, has an excellent quote about this. He says, that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That when we come to Jesus' Lord, we hear His words as true, then we begin to see everything else around us differently. We see through the lens of the gospel. So having come to Jesus and having heard His word, Luke continues, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, so we must do what Jesus commands. We must do what Jesus commands. 
We must be obedient to do what Jesus' word says. Saying that we have belief and faith in Jesus should cause us and spur us on to a life of action and obedience to him. It's more than just intellectually or emotionally knowing. It's more than just uh, religious activity. It is a relationship. And one of the other, you know, and one of the most famous verses in the Bible we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a small thing, but don't miss it. Not just believe him, but believe in him. There's a type of relationship that's going into this. So we must come to Jesus as Lord, hear his word as true, and do what his word commands in obedience. And the great news is that we're not just doing this on our own power. We're not just doing this on our own ability. But that... God in the Holy Spirit is enabling us to even cry out, Lord. Because I'll tell you, when I was sharing the gospel with those two brothers that I got to baptize in Africa, what I was doing, it wasn't about my technique, it wasn't about what I was doing, it was about I was being obedient to the commandment to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it wasn't anything that I was able to say apart from the gospel. His sheep know his voice. James also speaks to a similar point that believers should be hearers and doers of the words. So James 1, 22 and on says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, where he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Currently, I'm also in seminary as a student. And what that means is at the beginning of every semester, a professor comes to me, he hands me a syllabus, and he'll say, do all the things on the syllabus. So on the syllabus, it's pretty crystal clear. I'm supposed to read these, read these books, write these papers, do these tests. And what if I went to him at the end of the semester and I was like, hey, man, great job on that syllabus because all of that stuff was clear. I knew exactly when I was supposed to turn that stuff in. I didn't do any of it, but I'm sure glad that you took the time to make it so clear. Well, what if my wife came to me and said, Tyler, hey, I really would like you to do this. And I said, okay. And then just went right back to doing what I was doing. Do you think that would fly? Think it'd be good? Okay. It's not good. It's not good. Doesn't work that way. Been a year I caught on. A life built on the foundation of Jesus will look a certain way. It will look a certain way. So, what does your life look like? If you are on trial today, which, by the way, we all will be before God one day, standing before God, giving account of our lives, would you be convicted of being a Christian? 
It says in Luke 47 through 48, Jesus now illustrating to us the one who comes to him as Lord, hears his word is true, and does, does his word is what he looks like. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, and he could not shake it because it had been well built. Jesus illustrates to us what the life of one who comes to him, hears his word, and does it looks like. I would say, first, first of all here, we see that this man dug deep. And so if we truly hear God's word, so that we see everything else by God's word, faith is increased in our lives by our knowledge and understanding of God's word. That does not mean that our salvation is increased by our understanding of God's word, but our faith is increased because as we come to see more of God's nature, his goodness towards us and through the faith and our belief in Jesus Christ, then our faith in him grows. In the secular world, having more faith is contrary to having more information. But in the biblical perspective, in the New Testament, Christianity is pivotal. We can know more about the character and nature of God through His Word, and that understanding leads to strengthening our trust in Christ. Here's some questions that I have for you guys. What will your foundation be built on when you are combated by today's world's questions in your faith? Faith. What do you tell your coworker, neighbor, classmate, or friend that is arguing all religions are the same? Or I just read an article yesterday from Dr. Moeller where a, at a leading evangelical college, right before leading up to Christmas break, there was a professor who told all of their students for over a week straight that Muslims and Christians, they worship the same God. What do you do when those things arise? What foundation do you have when people mistake the Christianity that they see on TV, the prosperity gospel, for true trust in Jesus Christ? How do you respond to them? What will you say to them? We must dig deep and place our foundation on the rock that is trust in Jesus Christ. We must be obedient to Him and completely satisfied. How do we do that? How do we build on a sturdy foundation? I think we dig deep in God's Word. It is approaching the new year, and with that comes resolutions. If you have not already done so, I would encourage you to do so. Find a reading plan for, for God's Word. I would, I would really encourage you to be on a reading plan for God's Word, walking through the Old Testament, the New Testament as well. I would, be, I would encourage you to be obedient to the Lord's Word, so get accountability in that. I can look around this room and see many brothers and sisters in Christ that personally hold me accountable for reading God's Word, studying God's Word, and, and letting it soak into my life and my actions. We also need to come to to build a sturdy foundation through faith and repentance, but trusting that Jesus is Lord and turning from sin to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to get encouragement and community, and a part of what we're doing even here this morning is exactly that. We're coming in here to receive community in as God's people. And I would encourage you to be doing all these things. So as you are reading the Word and being held accountable accountable by others, and coming in here for community, there's a quote by John Owen that says that we need to either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We need to be held accountable that we're killing the sin in our lives, that we, as we have a life and foundation built on Christ, that the sin that is in our life is detestable to us. 
must be obedient to, to fulfilling God's plan for our lives. A life built without the foundation of Jesus will fail. A life built without the foundation of Jesus will fail. Verse 649, Jesus now illustrating the point of what the person who does not come and hear and do the word of God, what they look like. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus also shows us what happens when we fail to build our foundation firmly on him. Now, we've all seen this man. We've all experienced this in our own lives. People who claim Christ for a while, only later to live lives that are completely contrary to the gospel. So maybe they came to Christ early in their life and then walked away. I see that all the time in college students. It's terrifying. Because they must have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They must have never tasted the grace of Jesus Christ. A very famous illustration of this point is in two evangelists in the 1940s, Billy Graham and Charles Simpson. Now, Charles Simpson went from being one of the most well-known evangelists of his time who knew about Jesus to, in a conversation with Billy Graham in the 50s, denounced faith in Christ as Lord and denounced Scripture as holy in God's Word. 1 Timothy 4, 16 says that we must keep a close watch on ourselves and on our teaching and persist in this, for by doing so we will save both ourselves and our hearers. Can you imagine the destruction, the ruin of this man who had led possibly so many to Christ through the holy and infallible word of God and then denounced it? Can you imagine what it would have been like to have seen this man turn from God? In an interview with Charles Templeton, Lee Strobel, the author of A Case for Christ, in his book, A Case for Faith, has a, an interview 50 years later with uh, Templeton when he was in his 80s and suffering from Alzheimer's. He asked him this question, and how do you assess this Jesus? It seemed to him like the next logical question, but I wasn't ready for the response it would evoke. Templeton's body language softened. It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old friend or dear friend. His voice, which at the time had displayed sharp, at times, had displayed sharp and insistent edge, now took on a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace, almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words as he talked about Jesus. He was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life from my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the, the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that he was a form of greatness? Even in, later in the interview, goes on to say, I adore him. Someone says, I adore Jesus. It's amazing how much Templeton in this story reminds me of Nicodemus. He acknowledged that he was a good and moral man. He acknowledged that he was a good teacher. What he failed to do was recognize that he was Lord. What he failed to do was recognize that, he is, that Jesus is God. I recognize that this passage, when we come to it, is one that is fairly familiar for many of us. 
But I think that this time of year is good for us to reflect and to consider it. Right before New Year's, we all have resolutions, things that we want to do differently in the year to come. Nothing is more important than for us to examine what we are building the foundation of our lives on. Are you today building your foundation on the only foundation that can support the weight of your soul? Storms arise in everyone's lives. That will happen when you are hit with what will happen when you are hit with storms in your life. Maybe you have been placing your foundation in your ability as a businessman. Maybe you've been placing your foundation on having the perfect family and the first the perfect kids. These foundations will all fail you. Place your foundation on Christ, the only foundation that can save you, the only, the only foundation that is eternal, that when storms arise, when things come up, that you are unshaken because you have a hope that is eternal. First Peter would say that you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, when I was last sharing this text, this uh, passage of Scripture, I was actually in Africa, and I was sharing it to a local congregation of about 15 believers who understand that apart from Christ, they have nothing. And it can be so easy for us in comfort to, to think that because we have things, because we have comfort, that we're better off. But I can assure you that those believers sitting on those mud floors have just as much as anyone if they have Christ. Because everything without Christ is still nothing. But if you have nothing and you have Christ, you have everything. And you have to believe that. In closing, I would say that I'm going to invite you to come and pray. I would love for you to come and pray for God to forgive you of your sin and that He would become the foundation of your life if He is not. I would pray that you would grow in faith and Lord and that He would be your Lord. I'd also invite you to come and pray if there are areas in your life that you need help and are struggling to make Jesus the Lord of so as we come up here and we pray today, I pray that God would speak into our hearts through His holy and inspired Word that He is Lord. And we come to Him, and we come to Him as Lord, we hear His Word as true, and we do His Word because He is holy, and He is worthy of all of our praise and all of our lives. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank You that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to be the cornerstone of our lives. Lord, we, we praise you in this season, Lord, that you sent your Son, born of a virgin, Lord, to come and to do what we could not do as sinful beings, God, to atone for our sins. So, Lord, you sent your Son to atone for our sin. And, God, I pray then that we would recognize Him as Lord and we would grow in this every day. Lord, I pray that people would come now and pray to receive Christ if they have not, Lord, that He would be the foundation of their lives. Lord, I pray that if there are areas in which we are struggling, we are struggling to make You Lord, God, I pray that You would give us the strength and ability through the power of Your Holy Spirit to do so. Lord, bless our time this morning through Your Word. Stand up when we pray, God. Amen.